the history of personal computing. History, history, history. Just about everyone has that special memory of gifts received during the holiday season. In this episode, we present to you a collection of self-described experiences detailing such holiday memories. Included in the mix are memories from our listeners, along with memories from fellow podcasters. The following people have made a contribution to this show. Adam Rosen, Bill Judas, Greg Polander, Kevin Savitz, Mark Greentree and Kevin Adler, count as one, Alder. Alder. I'm going to get these names mixed up. Yeah, I think it's Alder. <laughs> Alder. Mike Whalen, Paul Hagstrom, Paul Nermanen, The Retroist, Rob O'Hara, John Leake, Sid Bolton. We will detail the who's who of these people when we introduce their submission. I'm Jeff Salzman, and with me is the other half of the History of Personal Computing podcast, David Grealish. Thanks, Jeff. And you know, and it could be John Leakey. I should know this, but we apologize, Kevin or John, if I get your last names wrong. <laughs> but anyway, we, you know, we had an idea, and I think our idea has really come together really well because we have a total of 12 different stories to share with you all during this very special holiday show. And it's all in the holiday spirit. And you know what, Jeff? I hate to say it because I think we've done some really good shows and we're getting better. I think this is going to be one of the best shows we've done. Might so be far. one of the longest. Yeah, you think so? Some of the stories are pretty short. Some are less than two minutes. But we have a dozen stories. And uh, you know what? They're all really good. Yes, they are. So, I mean, I was really impressed. And uh, we did good this time. So we got a, we got 12 people to submit some stories to us. So We, uh, we were able to bribe 12 people. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's get rolling. Um, I'm going to introduce our first uh, s- submission, and it's from our friend Adam Rosen, and he is from the Vintage Mac Museum, and uh, he tells us all about when he received a Commodore VIC-20. He's a, obviously a longtime Mac person, but his first computer was a Commodore VIC-20. Hi, this is Adam Rosen from the Vintage Mac Museum, and my story about my first computer or gaming system that I received during the holidays was my first computer, which was a Commodore VIC-20. Actually, there's some uh, confusion in the family as to whether this was a holiday gift or not. My mom doesn't recall exactly when she got it for me, but um, I remember it vaguely as a holiday gift, and based on the impact it had on my life, I'm going to claim it was a holiday gift, (laughs) at least for this purpose. Um, This was in, I don't remember, the late 70s, early 80s. Computers were out and about at homes. The Apple II was out. Um, I remember playing with the Radio Shack Trash 80 series, TRS-82 and 3, with 8-inch floppy drives um, at some businesses and, and Radio Shack stores when that was hip. 
And then my mom got me the VIC-20 because she thought I would be interested in it. Uh, little did she know it would set off my whole life of computing. Um, the VIC-20 was very fun, built around a graphics chip. What was it? Visual interface chip or something like that. If it was a VIC was. Um, and I outgrew it very quickly. I didn't have the VIC-20 very long. I was a few months, if I remember correctly, um, because I soon thereafter got a Commodore 64. And much more powerful with cartridge expansion and basic and dual disk drives. And I had that system through college. So it was Commodore for the first you know, four to five years of my young computing life. And then uh, switched to Apple when the Commodore disk drive died in college. And uh, I've been with Apple ever since. But the I loved the 64. The games were great. You know, it was easy to work with. It had built-in basic, which computers these days don't. Uh, you can't program them at all in most many cases. Um, and it gave me an edge. The computer class we had in my high school was a room full of Commodore pets. And since I'd already been playing around with it at home, I knew how to use it and I knew how to do basic programming and all that. So I was able to ace the class and play around with some other stuff because um, I had the time to do it. And uh, little did I know that that honestly would never end. So I was with Commodore for a while and then uh, jumped ship to Apple who has stayed afloat despite doubts over the years and uh, probably now an Apple guy for life. So take that, Microsoft. <laughs> anyway, happy holidays all. Happy New Year and uh, enjoy your vintage computers. Yeah, I like the uh, VIC-20 um, also. That was my first computer too. And now ah. I didn't get mine for Christmas, but I, uh, I got it actually a few months earlier than Christmas. I got it in October uh, of 81. But... I, I had the same feelings with the VIC-20. I mean, it's, it's a great first computer. You can do a lot of stuff with it. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was absolutely happy to have it. But you didn't submit your story. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I didn't get it for Christmas I, you know, or holiday right, or whatever. Right. So I and thought I'd leave it out. And, of course, and, that's what we're looking for is, uh, you know, as you know, gifts around the holidays or Christmas. So My Just story like, around my VIC-20 could take a lot of time. It's really an interesting story. Yeah, my first computer was maybe we can do a story like this or try to do this another time, Jeff. But like my first computer, Commodore sixty four, I got it for my birthday. I got mine after my birthday, but it was still a surprise. <laughs> anyway, we got plenty more to go. So the next person in the list is Bill Judas, and he is an author of numerous books like Vintage Games and Vintage Game Consoles, and the proprietor of the Armchair Arcade tells us about when he received his first printer. Hi, this is Bill Judas, author of such books as Vintage Games and Vintage Game Consoles. I also run the website Armchair Arcade. My Christmas memory is when I received the Commodore MPS 803 printer for my Commodore 64. The Commodore 64 was my second ever computer after the VIC-20, and I was solely building out what would become a nice collection of items for it. If I recall correctly, I was around 12 at the time, so I would put this most likely at 1984. Anyway, this printer was memorable for a few reasons. One is that I was on my own with the computer stuff since my parents had little to no interest. Being my first printer, I wasn't quite sure how these things worked. I had of course specifically requested that printer, but I remember getting confused about other printers having an online button and the MPS 803 not having one, which I had noticed in a magazine. I didn't realize it at the time, but as a first-party printer, the MPS-803 didn't need that button. Anyway, it must have been sometime in December 
maybe late November, when I told my parents not to get it because it wouldn't work right without the online button. My, my father got so angry that in a rage, he told my mom just to give me the printer. So I got the printer early and of course discovered that it worked perfectly well. Beyond that memory, I remember how poor the print quality was. It was a low-end, nine-pin printer. What was considered near-letter quality at the time pretty much required 24 pins. So it was quite a few pins short. There were two ways around this that I discovered. One was that you could use carbon paper so the dotty print would blend together better. The other, of course, was having the software send text as images. This made the letters bigger, and it wasn't quite perfect, but it really did improve the quality. Paired with drawing programs like Doodle and GeoWrite, that cheap printer served me well for a number of years. In fact, with it, I was one of the first kids ever, and this would have been 7th grade at the time, one of the first kids ever who turned in a book report with graphics and text. I basically laid the report out like a newspaper, completely with headline and picture in the center. You know, it really dazzled and uh, quite impressive for the time. Today, of course, we don't give a second thought about these things, but uh, back then um, it was quite common to try to find these, these workarounds for the limits of the technology that we had. And frankly, uh, we kind of liked it that way. So that's my story, my first ever printer. Thanks for the listen. That was actually my first printer, but I didn't get it for any gift. I actually had to go out and buy it. And it was a nice workhorse of a printer, but it had one little problem with it, if I recall. It was not tractor fed. It was friction fed. So when you have all that tractor feed paper feeding into the back of it and you're mm -hmm. printing banners from like print shop or print power, yeah. um, it, the banner would skew yeah. over time because you can never get it to feed exactly straight through. And I think uh, for that printer, you could buy the tractor feed mechanism for 70 some bucks at the time. And you know, that's a lot of money in the mid 80s, or at least when I got mine, I got mine in 86. Um, but it's still, that was a cool printer. And yeah, you know, I would have, I didn't get my VIC-20 for Christmas, but it'd been cool to get something else for my Commodore computer for Christmas. But sure, you know, that never happened in my way. Anyway, let's so, go down this list here. Yep. So next up is a friend of the show and a listener. It's Greg Pollander, and he's known as uh, Soul Blazer online at the Atari Age forums. And uh, he's also a new podcaster, and he started a podcast called the SNES Podcast. And I was actually uh, listening to some of that a little bit earlier when I was doing some, not listening to some of our submissions, but doing some of the, the you know, text work or whatever. And it, it's really interesting. His very first one, in fact, I wanted to mention is called um, My Experiences with a Mom Who Managed a Video Store and NES Games or they rented NES games and, and, uh, and video stuff, and I'm um, about halfway through it. Really good. Check it out. Okay. So uh, in any case, so he started a new uh, podcast, and he is going to tell us about the time he received a Commodore 128D. I always wanted one of those. I've never owned a 128D as far as a collectible. I mean, I never had one originally either, but um, you know what that one is, right, Jeff? What's different yep. about it? Yep. Okay. Sorry. I don't mean to insult. Well, he'll probably <laughs> explain it too. But yeah. It's, um, well, anybody who doesn't know, it, it's, it was a um, your regular 128 had like an all-in-one, like a Commodore 64 with a keyboard, and so this looked more like a. I'll put it as a traditional computer with the computer with a disk drive, and then you had a keyboard, separate keyboard. 
It's just a really nice looking computer. Hello, my name is Greg. I go by Soulblazer Online, and I'm also the host of the newly started Super NES podcast. Um, but while Super NES was one of my favorite ga gaming systems, uh, my, one of my favorite computer systems was the first computer system that I ever received in the Christmas of 1985. Uh, I was nine, just, just about to go on 10 when I received the computer. Now, I had some experience with computers before that point. I had cut my teeth on a Apple II in elementary school, and I played on uh, friends and relatives' various computers over the years, a VIC-20, a Commodore 64, an Atari uh, 800, uh, probably one or two others, I can't remember. But uh, the computer that we got for that Christmas was a complete surprise to me. I wasn't expecting a computer system, and a, um, it was just a complete surprise. And the system turned out to be a Commodore 128D, which was a variation of the Commodore 64, just an improved model of it with 80-column mode. Um, I'm not sure why my dad got this model. I've asked him. He doesn't really quite remember. I suspect it just because of the fact that uh, the salesperson probably pitched the computer to him uh, or whatnot. I know they were brand new at the time, so it had to be like so it had to be like you know fairly expensive. So. We got the computer and we used it right away. And he also purchased a Commodore, a Commodore monitor for it. I think it was the, uh, I don't remember the exact model, but it was the official Commodore monitor that was often used for those things. Uh, very good monitor. Uh, I, I really liked the computer and that it was very streamlined and efficient. It really reminded me of a modern computer, like in how it was looked and designed, because you had the, because the computer was a large flat base. Uh, cream color in which which sat on top of the computer desk and the monitor set on top of it uh, as opposed to many of the computers at the time in which all the guts were packed uh, under the keyboard so a very efficient design uh, the keyboard also had it was also attached to the computer with a fairly long cable so that even though we had it on the desk most of the time through that like through one of those little uh, pod stands it was also long enough to allow you to be able to put to like to like to, to, to pull it into your lap if you so desired and the and it also had an internal disk drive, uh, 1581 I think was the model, uh, a more faster, more reliable drive than the clunky old ones that the Commodore 664 originally originally shipped with, uh, much better than 1541s. Um, I've heard over the years about people having problems with power supplies on these computers. I never had an issue an issue with it the whole time I had it, and it was a great it was a great computer. Um, the only other accessory we really had for it was a joystick. Didn't get a mouse or, um, or, or modem or anything else like that. We really didn't use the 128 mode all that much. Uh, my dad used the computer for programming and for work functions. I used it for games, of course. I tried programming a little bit by punching in some various programs that, uh, programs that, that, that came like compute and whatnot, but I learned at a pretty early age I was not going to be a programmer. So, but one of the main things that we did subscribe to to help get his programs for that, for, for that computer was a, was a monthly magazine on disk by a company called Softdisk based in Louisiana. Uh, the, uh, they made disk magazines for various computers and the one for the Commodore was called Lodestar. And it was a great program that came, uh, it came once a month and the disks were filled with programs and games and utilities. And that kept us uh, very comfortable in new programs for the computer for, for, like, for a long time to come. And eventually, there was enough demand that they, re that they released a special 128 version of Lodestar, so that, was, so, so that we got it twice a month, 
128 programs and one of regular 60 conferences, 64 programs. Uh, like I, uh, I'm glad we had the programs because, like I said, 95% of the time we use computer in 64 mode. You'd hold down a key to be able to boot the system in 64 mode as a, uh, because the default was to have it boot, to have it boot in 128. Uh, very reliable system, never had a problem with it. Ran smoothly for years. We kept subscribing to Lodestar for all those years. I finally got um, an IBM clone for Christmas of 89, but the Commodore remained in heavy use all through high school. I finally gave up the computer when I went to go, when I went to college in September of, of 2000. Sorry, of September of 1994, and eventually the, the computer was given away uh, by my dad. Um, I, I still love Commodores to this day. I still use it in emulation on a regular basis. Uh, a lot of great games to that system. Uh, 128D was a very efficient, faster loading, uh, reliable model compared to the 64. Um, I really don't. Um, I really don't think it was that much of a difference having having one over the other, but I did like, like I said, the very modern, sleek, lined, efficient look to the system, and it ran smoothly for all those years. So that's my experience. Uh, that was my very first computer, and it's still to this day one that holds a very special place, like in my heart. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. And that was a great story. Um, lucky him too. Not too many people that you can think of. Have gotten. I mean, some may have gotten a Commodore One Twenty Eight for Christmas, but a One Twenty Eight D. Yeah, I mean, how that's much, how much more that, expensive were they? They, well, weren't they close to about a thousand dollars? I mean, I mean compared that, to like the the regular One Twenty Eight. Yeah, One Twenty Eight. You you're laying out about what five hundred dollars for the unit. Yeah, then five or another three hundred for the fifteen seventy one drive. Um, uh, the oh, okay, and that's right because they didn't have the drive built into them. Yep. But, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever even got close enough to a 128D to smell it. Um, but so it's probably, one of those probably compared to a 128 and then the additional drive, it probably wasn't that much more. No, the convenience was... of the 128D is that you can tuck the keyboard away and it held your monitor easily. So, yeah, it was like it almost looked like a mini Amiga 1000. So, Kevin Savitz, he is the author of Terrible Nerd, which is a really good book, by the way, and proprietor of numerous sites, including Classic Computer Magazine Archive. He is also a co-host of the Antic, the Atari 8-Bit podcast. And even though he's a big Atari fanatic, he tells us about receiving his first computer. Oh, right. He sent Apple a picture too. in, too. He did send a picture. Oh, that was a great picture. So every, and he that, talks about it, but everyone needs to look at the picture. Yes, we'll have that in either the show notes and the article on the website or both. But let's listen to about his Apple II. There's this picture of me. Uh, it's from Christmas Day, 1984. And... There I am standing in my pajamas and my bathrobe, hugging, like leaned over, hugging these two giant white boxes with the multicolor Apple logo on the side. And that was, that was my Apple IIc and, and uh, the, the monitor, the monochrome monitor that looked like E.T. somehow. <laughs> And uh, the smile on my face in this picture is just enormous. And people think of me as an Atari guy, and I am, but my biggest Christmas memory is actually getting the Apple IIc. Now, I wanted an Atari, an Atari like 800XL really bad, if that's what I wanted, but that's what my dad had, an Atari uh, 800 at, at his house, but I only saw it and him every you know a couple times a month. So my mom and stepdad were not going to get me an Atari. There was just no way that was going to happen. It was a toy. 
But when I saw the Apple IIc on the cover of Creative Computing Magazine, I kind of fell in love with it. And the article inside, Apple IIc revealed, it was, it was so pretty. It was just gorgeous. And I had played with a variety of Apple IIs at, at friend's house, and, and they were pretty cool. But the IIc, there's something about the look of it. So I asked mom and, and stepdad for one, and it wasn't going to happen. They just said no. It was too expensive, and, and it was a toy, and it just, it just wasn't going to happen. At least in my memory, I don't think that I really expected to get that computer or any computer. In my house, you could open one present on Christmas Eve, and it was always pajamas. So Christmas Eve, I got some new plaid flannel pajamas, and Christmas morning, I come down in my jammies and my bathrobe, and I think I opened a, a present or two under the tree, and and then Mom said something weird. She's just like, Kevin, can, can you put that blanket away? And, and I turned around and kind of in a weird corner of... Of, of the entryway, there was this big fuzzy blanket thrown over something. So I go over there and I picked it up and under it, I found all these boxes of Apple stuff. And it was such a surprise. I was so surprised and delighted. And it became clear that, that they went all out. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking, frankly. I, I didn't then and I still don't. Um, there was the 2C and the monitor and the image writer printer and uh, the, the, the craft joystick and flight simulator and print shop and just all sorts of software. And man, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was an amazing day. And um, I took it upstairs and uh, gleefully unplugged the TI-99 4A that I had been suffering along with and, uh, and hooked up. The, uh, the Apple IIc. That was a good Christmas. Okay. That, that is cool to receive that, you know, those kind of boxes. And I like the story, the way he presented it, too. Um, it's but, kind of funny, though. He ends up still, sometime later, still liking the Atari better, though. Well. That's unusual, because most people have, well, you know, the end Atari up having had, Apple. If he was into any kind of graphics at all, the Atari... Yeah had the player missile graphics and that made it easier to create graphics. And, and although the Apple II, as you have heard on a previous episode of history of personal computing, uh, the Apple was one of the first ones with color built into it, but the Atari did better color. It wasn't, it wasn't a screen hack. It was actually color registers and, you know, and a, and a video chip that was designed to handle color. So, I can see if he was really into the graphics part of stuff, you know, yeah. going to anything but Apple, not to knock the Apple. The Apple was a powerful computer, uh, but fun and games, you know, you're going to get more of it from other things, not to, you know, shoot down the Apple too. A lot of us, you know, we have our favorites and, um, you know, but we still have other computers that we like and have a lot of soft spots in our hearts for, I mean, just like the Commodore for me, even though I, I ended up becoming a Mac person. Yes, it becomes ingrained in, in a person when they use their, especially a first computer. Yeah. You're never going to forget that. So next up, we have two friends of mine. So, you know, I had emailed them and asked, it, hey, you want to submit a, um, a story? And they both did. And, and it's, it's very, uh, 
it's our longest segment and it's a good job. So it's Mark Greentree. And it, and as you will tell right away, he's from Australia. And Kevin, and I think it's Alder. So I'm going to say it's A-L-L-D-E-R. So I think it's it's Alder. So in the, I believe, and he's in Virginia. So they are co-hosts of the Geekiest Show Ever podcast. And, um, and I have an interesting quick story. So I met them and met Mark specifically from a couple of years ago. I created a podcast called not another Apple podcast, like not another Apple podcast. And, um, and it was a completely original idea, but it turned out there, there were a number of other podcasts called like not another this or whatever. So there's one called not another Mac podcast. And that was Mark green trees. And then Kevin would be his guest um, sometimes. And, and they're in this other show and stuff. So they're, you know, their friends know each other. So that's all. That's how I met him. Cause he had uh, emailed me about, you know, what if people confuse our shows and we end up having a conversation and, you know, determine, no, they won't because it's too different. And if anything, we can help each other, you know, promote each other's shows and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so they're, they're big Mac people, especially Mark. So he talks about how he got a, a Mac LC 575 uh, on one holiday time. And Kevin talks about when he received an Atari 2600 game console. Should should we be our Tom Foolery selves? I'm wondering. I don't know if Mr. Grealish would like us to be our Tom Foolery selves on his well-respected show. Yeah, we're not doing geekiest show ever at the moment, are we, Kevin? We're we're doing a segment for David and Jeff on the history of personal computing. Yeah, this, this is strange. I mean, we we've got to be like polite and normal and and upstanding citizens of the tech community now. Well, I'm going to sit down while you upstand. All right. Well, anyway, uh, David got in <laughs> touch with us to uh, tell us a, a Christmas story, a, a Christmas tale, and uh, about technology, whether or not it was a, a first computer or a gaming system. And uh, Kevin, I know that you haven't got the, the, you didn't get a computer for Christmas, which is such a shame because I did. But you're going to talk about a gaming system. I'm going to talk about actually my very first computer which was a uh, Mac LC575 back in uh, the Christmas. It would have been of 93 or 94. I honestly can't remember now. But I, w- I was 14 or 15. So, you know, let, let, let's see. 20 oh. years ago. Wow, that how time has passed. You were just a wee lad. I Absolutely, I was. But the, the whole story behind this was that the following year, I was going to take a subject in computer studies at school, in high school. So I, I bugged and bugged and bugged my mother to give me a, um, a, a computer for that year, for instance. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I said, look, they have Macs at the school. They had LC575s and they also uh, not... L- no, they didn't have the LC575. They had the uh, the Apple IIe, and then they had the Mac LC uh, range, which was the the sort of pizza box Mac with the screen on top. But yep. oh, I was in in seventh heaven when my mother finally agreed with the uh, LC575 because not only did you get a beautiful uh, color display, but you also got the the CD ROM. I mean, a CD ROM in a computer in the mid 90s that was awesome i could take a cd put it in and play music via the computer it was just like absolutely incredible uh but my favorite memory of that computer was i got it a week or so before christmas just to make sure that you know we would get it and everything but my favorite memory was playing spectra challenge on it do you remember that game kevin i vaguely remember it it's 
it does. It's kind of in that in between time for me when it was popular. Oh, I, I, look, I still think it's popular today. I, I've got to say, I played it a few years ago. It's been a few years since I've played it. But maybe in uh, 2009, 2008, some, somewhere around there, I pulled out the old computer, popped it in and played it again, and it still stood up. It, for a free game that came pre-installed with the OS, it's just a lot of fun. And it doesn't age as badly as some of the other games. I, look, I, I just love it. The, the soundtrack to it's great. And just that, that sort of green on black background, it, it just works well. And I had a, a ball with that. It was just an, a wonderful experience. And uh, yeah, then, then the, by the time I, I got back to, to school six weeks later, the, the luster was gone and, uh, and it wasn't quite brand new. But you know what? It was still my machine. And I actually kept that machine in usage all the way through to uh, about 2005. It ended up being a computer that I would run my personal accounts on, so uh, it it definitely got used and and uh, but unfortunately it, it it ended up going to the computer heaven in the sky. And and all the crap you gave me for when I sent that poor uh, what was that I forgot which one it was I sent off to heaven and you got upset with me for it. Your, yours was a, a two. It was no, it wasn't an Apple two, was it? It was an SE thirty. That's what oh, it that's was. That's right. That's what it was. Yeah, but. So you you didn't have to do that, Kevin. Yeah, I did because I didn't have a power cord for it. It didn't boot up and make a, a normal sound when it booted up. So, yeah, and, that, and, that poor old thing. And you know thing. what? I guarantee that David and Jeff could have hooked us up. They probably could have. And my apologies to both gentlemen. I would have gladly sent it to you uh, to to recover it. But it never worked quite right from the time I bought it used. It had been dropped a few times <laughs> by the time I got a hold of it. So, eh, you know, give it a break. The Classic 2 that came with it that I got still works, still boots up, still runs. So we're good there. Just um, keep but yeah, one, Kevin. Yes, I, don't worry. It holds a place of honor. Now, unfortunately, because of our age difference, and I will throw out the old man stick here, I don't. I didn't get a computer when I was a, a kid. Um, the computers that were around when I was a kid would have been like the Atari 400s or the Atari 800s. Um, you know, those were the types of things. The Apple IIs were just coming out, but we just didn't have the funds, I'll put it that way, even though I begged and pleaded for one to get that. So I never got a computer for Christmas. But what I did get a few years later was my mother purchased me an Atari 2600 game system. Wow, nice. And I still have it. Awesome. I still have my I still have it. Um it was the, the and I'll I'll divide this up strictly Christmas. I actually have a Pong game. Still have that, an original Pong. Uh but that did, I didn't get that for Christmas. That was I think that was a birthday present in 1970-something. I can't remember now. But I got the uh, the Atari 2600 when I was uh, 20 years old. And I got that game, and I played it, and I dearly loved it. The odd thing was, the year I got that, uh, I, where I was working at that time, I, I we got up Christmas morning, I opened it, and I was so excited. The phone rang. It was work. Oh no! I had to go in and work Christmas Day. Unexpected. I got called out about nine thirty, nine forty-five that morning. 
and didn't get back home until about 9.30 or 10 o'clock that night. Ah, uh, that's awful. That that killed me. I mean, granted, I was out working with my friends. You know, the guys I worked with, it was great. Everybody's house we went to, there's a, here's hot chocolate, here's coffee, here's pie, here's a turkey sandwich. You know, we were thankful that we were trying to help them. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It was it was it sucked to have to work Christmas Day and didn't get to fool with any of my presents. But um, that was the that was the thing. And I played that game. I played that Atari for I don't know how many years. Even when the fifty two hundred series came out, mm-hmm. you want one of those? Nope. Happy with my twenty six hundred. And I was playing long playing Space Invaders. Then I learned the the little hack that if you held down the I can't was it the reset button while you powered on the Space Invaders cartridge because again these were cartridge games that it made you invincible and you could wipe out everything so it, it or no what did make you invincible it lets you shoot uh, the original Space Invaders game you had to wait till the shots you shot went completely off the screen before you could shoot again mm-hmm. it got rid of that restriction that was the hack if you held down the button and turned it on, it just lets you keep sitting there and as fast as you could squeeze the uh, the fire button, it would fire at the uh, little guys, moving, the little space guys coming down at you. And then uh, I had a golf game. Oh, I thought that was totally high-tech go- to go- be playing. Golf on computer games are absolutely awesome. I, actually, I, I got a golf game uh, in the, well, it would have been the, the late 80s, early 90s. It was just one of those Dick Smith Tandy Radio Shack style ones where just had the little lcd screen and and so forth and you had your 18 holes and it was just great fun it was wonderful well you know if if you get really technical about it you go all the way back probably the first computer game i got and david might remember this and if people don't they can look it up was the mattel electronic football game it was an led it wasn't really a game console it was a handheld gaming system and it was at the end. It was supposed to be a simulation of NFL football, NFL here in the United States. And you had to you moved the little dot up and down. Then you hit the button to make you run down the field. And you had this little field that was like 10, 10, 10 yards long. And he was back and forth, back and forth. And I loved that thing. I played that thing till I was almost blind. Uh, but I got that when I was probably like seven or eight years old. I can't remember. That would have put it early seventies. No. Uh, late 60s, so I might have been about 10 when I got that. Some early 70s, yeah. And I played and played that. So those are the first two gaming systems that I got that I would say were computerized. You know, there's lots of good stories popping back into my head, but unfortunately, Kevin, we're we're taking way too much time out for uh, David and and Jeff's listeners, so we better throw it back to them. Guys, thank you so much for allowing us to to come on and, and do a short segment. Uh, we wish you all uh, a very happy holidays, happy Christmas to those who celebrate Christmas, and uh, have a safe one. Yes, a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year to all those. And again, thank you guys. We really appreciate it. Well, I tell you something, that's that's a pair of people that know how to work together. <laughs> yeah. They have um, a lot of fun. It's, uh, give it a try sometime. From in there, I didn't think they would give our show back to us. <laughs> oh, I but, just wanted to mention, too, is... Um, if you're not that familiar, probably most people don't care, but uh, the Mac LC575, so it was also the Performa 575. Okay. A lot I of times you, you... LC2 in my collection. Yeah, you tend to think of the... the I hate it when people call it pizza boxes. I don't think of those as being pizza boxes. I think of the 
the um you know the bigger square ones flat square ones being like the pizza box style but in case yeah so most of the time in the united states you saw the performa 575 other than schools got them labeled as lc 575s all in ones yeah and i think uh not not to think that i know any better about the atari 2600 game space invaders that he was talking about but um the 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 double fire thing that was going mm-hmm. he got the he got the motions right but i think all it does is give you two fire two shots every button press or something uh. and that that helped you clear the screens out a little quicker anyway i'm i'm digressing i'm you know going off on a tangent here when i need to get back on oh yeah so tell us again. about that our next uh submitter is is a good you know, of course i know him has been a friend but he's your buddy yes too uh Mike Whalen, uh, he's another listener and friend of the show, and you can also hear him along with me on a Vintage Volts episode, actually two Vintage Volts episodes, and soon to be another one uh, as soon as I finish the editing. Uh, he had received, and I'm going to call it um, Geos. Oh, yeah, he I, said what he calls he it mentions, uh, Geos. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll hear how, how he... Uh, yeah. How he calls it. But, I always think of it as... I've always thought of it as Geos, too. But. Well, I think they're... They're uh, they they could be either one, unless you ask somebody. Well, let's let's listen to him first, and then uh, we'll we'll discuss that. We'll let people hear how he calls it. You know how I call it, how you call it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he received uh, Geos for Commodore sixty four one year. Hi, this is Mike Whalen. When I was first approached by Jeff and David regarding Christmas stories, I didn't think I could really do it. I do remember big events around computers, seeing my first BBS, for example, or loading my first game on a Commodore 64 and 1541 drive, and other things like that. But I I couldn't say for certain these were Christmas memories. But then, I did remember something. When each Christmas comes around, people ask me, what do I want? And I guess as every year passes, it's harder to think of things that I really want or need But I do usually come back to asking myself one question. Is there any software I need? And then I remember. One year, I asked for and received GEOS for the Commodore 64. You might pronounce it G-E-O-S or G-O-S. I don't really know how it's pronounced. I'm going to say GEOS. It's quicker. (laughs) For those of you who don't know... GEOS was a graphical user interface, an operating system for the Commodore 64 and 128 and Apple II. I think there was also an Atari version as well. It was written by Berkeley Softworks, which later became GeoWorks. GEOS was also a suite of applications like GeoWrite, GeoCalc, GeoPublish, and you can probably figure out what those do by their names. GEOS attempted to bring the bitmapped world of the Macintosh to 8-bits, like the Commodore 64 and the Apple II. Admittedly, it wasn't, I guess, so much an operating system as an environment for GeoWorks applications. I'm not sure there was much hope of seeing a huge third-party development scene spring up around GEOS. It pushed these 8-bitters pretty hard. That didn't keep us from hoping, though. It was an awesome technical feat. I had received the software probably in 1987, and booted it on my Commodore 64 that Christmas afternoon. I was really only interested in one application, GeoPublish. In the past, I had spent hours designing newsletters in Springboard Software's The Newsroom. I was fascinated with page layout. 
You can imagine that the Mac with PageMaker was very attractive, but it was also hopelessly unaffordable. I hope GeoPublish could work just as well, or at least get me a little bit closer to professional. I spent that entire afternoon playing with GeoPublish and Geos. It felt like I had gotten my first professional software package, and I was entranced. While Geos was excruciatingly slow, I did use it to publish newsletters of sorts for several weeks thereafter. Geos and GeoPublish remain a Christmas memory that I review at least once a year. Is there some kind of software I could use? Oh, remember that Christmas day with Geos and GeoPublish. And gr okay. great story, because I remember yes. the first time I ever saw it. And again, considering uh, I found out about Geos, you know, after the fact later on, becoming a collector and enthusiast and stuff. But, you know, I'm a Mac person, right? And I remember seeing this for a Commodore 64 and just being amazed. Of course, it was really slow if you didn't have a, uh, what was called an, an, an REU, a RAM expansion unit. Was there something yes. really necessary to run that more efficiently, which basically just gave you more RAM? If you were using native Geo software or Geo software. Yeah, as I was mentioning before his uh, bit, uh, I look at Geos as, you the, the applications are like Geodex, Geochart, mm -hmm. Geofile. Yeah. So that's why I just naturally just add the S to the end of Geo as Geos, but it's also an operating system. So uh, GOS, for stressing on the OS part, I can see how that would work too. But this could be a debate for a whole other show if we wanted, huh? Well, it's sort of like GLaDOS. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of uh, the video game Portal fame, just for anybody out there. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it depends on how you grew up or where you grew up. Well, and I think the syllables. we will be doing a show, right? I don't know if we've discussed it on air, but... Jeff, aren't we planning? We're going to do a show, I think, on graphical user interfaces, aren't we, in the future? Down the yes. road as we get into the 32-bit computers and you know, Amiga and Mac, I think we're going to do one specifically about sort of the history of the GUI. Yep, because it's all part of the history of personal computing. Yeah. So next up is Paul Hagstrom, and he is one of the co-hosts of the Retro Computing Roundtable. Never heard of it. Me either. And he tells us all about his family receiving an Apple II Plus during the holiday season. As it happens, I do have a fond memory of receiving my first computer during the holiday season, although it was, I suppose, strictly speaking, the family's. But uh, this would have been December 1982, and although I had some experience in school with the Bell and Howell Apple II Pluses, uh, Christmas 1982 was when we, our family got the Apple II Plus, uh, and I was the designated opener. Uh, so time came to open the thing, and I pulled everything out of the box and, you know, put it down right there on the floor, uh, took the monitor out, plugged all the power in. Um, and it turned out, actually, that uh, the monitor that we had was not a composite monitor. It didn't, it was no, there was no way to plug it into the, the Apple II Plus. And in fact, uh, we didn't have an RF modulator, so we couldn't plug it into a TV. There was basically no way that we, I could see what was going on on the screen. Um, it was Christmas. Everything was closed. So obviously there's nothing that could be done, uh, until the next day about, uh, getting a monitor replaced. And there's no way that I was going to wait until the next day. And so uh, what I did was basically just start programming the thing blind. Uh, I, turned it on, I heard it beep, you know, I knew what it was supposed to be showing on the screen, even though I couldn't actually see anything. Uh, and so I spent much of that day uh, sort of writing. My recollection is that I was writing a kind of a number guessing game blind in BASIC. 
Uh, and it would give you feedback. You could play it, and it would give you feedback by beeping some number of times, telling you whether you guessed low or high or correctly. And it was an interesting challenge, uh, and it was kind of fun in a way. Uh, I think probably I wouldn't have been less happy if I could have actually seen the things I was typing. But it was a neat first. <laughs> it was a neat experience to have. That's that's my memory of receiving my first computer uh, during the holiday season. So uh, I guess I don't know. Um, happy holidays. Yeah. So notice it was a uh, it was a family gift because you know when you start giving apples, you know for for. Well, any any time back then or now, I mean, it's an expensive thing. It is, and th- that's when I got my Vic Twenty. I had a choice between that. Well, I won't go into it right now, but the store where I got my Vic Twenty had an Apple uh, set up, and I loved it. I mean, it was really nice. It had like a light pen I get to try out. They had all these you know uh, things to to work with for the Apple. But it was expensive. Uh, my parents absolutely said no to it, but I recognized the power of it. So I can yeah. understand something that expensive. Get it for the whole family. The whole family treats themselves to this, and everybody's happy because you know you can't sit at these things twenty four seven, can you? But he unwrapped you know, it, so you know it's you know it was really his. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> oh well, since we're sticking with Paul as the name. I'm going to introduce Paul Nermanen, and hopefully I got that right, and hopefully I didn't bite my tongue trying to say it. Um, Actually, he's called Nermix, to those who are in the know. He's the creator and one-third of the host collective responsible for bringing you the Intellivisionaries podcast. Paul talks about his vicariously enjoying an Atari 400 computer that his neighbor friend received for Christmas in 1982. Hi, this is Paul Nermanen from the Intellivisionaries podcast with my computer Christmas memory. Now, I didn't get my own Christmas computer, per se, but I do have a strong memory of one of my best friends at the time, Darren, who lived across the street. Uh, Christmas 1982, his dad got him the Atari 400. And also, along with that, I believe they called it the Entertainment Pack or the Game Pack. It was uh, two joysticks, I think Missile Command and Star Raiders. Might have been asteroids, too. Can't recall. In any case, I remember going over there Christmas morning after we were done at our house. And he had this thing set up in his family room playing Star Raiders. And I had seen Star Raiders before in like a store display or whatever. But I never really tried it. And I recall we must have spent a good two, three hours Christmas morning just playing Star Raiders. And, of course, throughout the rest of the Christmas school break. Sure, it had the membrane keyboard and only 16K of RAM, but that thing was amazing. Eventually, my friend got the Atari 800 and a disk drive, and probably about a year, year and a half after that, because of my experience with Darren's Atari computers, I got an Atari 800 XL, 64K of RAM, and a Percom disk drive. And that was the beginning of my career with Atari computers which continued on with numerous other models of the Atari and peripherals on into the ST and STE, and then even the Falcon. And that all stemmed from that first experience with my friend's Atari 400 back in 1982. Amazing machine, ahead of its time in many ways, and I feel underrated in the personal computing history. The Apple II gets all the glory, but the Atari had it beat with colors and sound. That's right, Mike and Carrington. I'm talking to you. 
Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year from the Intellivisionaries podcast. Yeah, that's that's why it's good to have friends on your street when you're growing up because there might there's that chance that somebody else is going to have a better toy than you for that Christmas, and you're going to want to go over there and play with their. Well, I mean, toys. obviously, a lot of us, me included, got some of our very first experiences with video game systems and computers through friends and neighbors. Yes. I was one of the last ones on my, my street to have an Atari or anything like that. I had a, a Pong game, but uh, two, two friends got Ataris. One got the Intellivision, and this was you know late 70s. And it wasn't until sometime in the early 80s that the, the Atari that we finally got in our household was something that my brother and I put money together for mm. to, to buy. Um, so yeah, it's still it's cool to have friends who have who can get these toys when you're growing up. It's cool to have friends who have these toys now when you're all grown up. Yep. You know, it's just like it's just like going over to the neighbor's house who has a 70 inch screen back when those were uncommon uh, to watch the football game. So next up, I would like to introduce the retroist. Ah, the retroist, podcaster, blogger, nostalgist, legend. <laughs> Seriously, super thanks to him as the inspiration for this special. Um, His Halloween specials were the inspiration for this Christmas slash holiday special. So, um, so give those listens. I don't think he did it this this year, but um, I think for the last five five years before he did a, you know, just sort of like the same format where people would submit their stories about Halloween, and I did it. um, So not this past Halloween, but one before which I really enjoyed. So that's why I thought this would be a good idea for us, but please enjoy his own contribution right here on our show. As he talks about receiving a Commodore Vic 20. And uh, you should also check out his blog and podcast at retrous.com. A tradition amongst my friends was to call each other on Christmas morning and compare notes about what we got. This habit, as it turns out, would cause a sort of bit of discomfort for my mother when one year, My friend who opened his gifts on Christmas Eve called me that night to talk about his new Apple computer that he had received. He went on at length about how amazing it was, and I got off the phone completely jazzed. I had been asking and hinting at computers for a while now, and Apple computers were pie in the sky for me, way out of my reach, but suddenly I was energized by my friend getting one and started talking about how I wanted one. Unbeknownst to me, this would be the Christmas that I would get a computer, but it wasn't an Apple. It was a Commodore VIC-20. I would later find out from my mother that when she started hearing me talk about the Apple, she started to get nervous or upset that I would be disappointed in the VIC-20. I, like most kids, could get quite excited over presents, so I can see where she might get this feeling. I imagine I went to sleep that night dreaming of receiving my computer, probably an apple, just because it was fresh in my brain. My mother probably went to sleep thinking, oh great, he's going to open that thing and be tremendously disappointed. When I did get downstairs the next morning, my family of course lingered in the kitchen making coffee, having a little breakfast. Then when I finally got to open my gifts, I spotted one that was a little bit bigger than the rest, and suddenly I was very excited. I must have been vibrating. When I opened it, it was a Commodore VIC-20, and if my mother had any doubts that I was going to be excited about this gift. They faded right away because I was ecstatic running around the room, probably picking up my dogs and dancing with them, which is something I would do when I was very excited. It was the first computer I would receive, and I felt like the future had finally come to our house. I had forgotten completely about my friend getting an Apple, and it wasn't even a thought in my mind. 
It is amongst my favorite gifts that I ever received, something I value, and one of the few computers that I have held on to until this day. You know, his he, he's right about parents at the time. Uh, his parents were right to feel concerned, but at the same time, they did not know that, you know, kids in those days didn't care that much. Yeah. If, if they got the computer for Christmas, no matter which one they wanted, if they got one, right. That's the best feeling. Yeah. I would have danced with my dogs too. If I had dogs, if I, you know, got something like that for Christmas, mm-hmm. totally, totally, um, you know, surprised that it, great story. And I, I still like the fact he puts his, uh, light airy music in the background. Yeah. Well, you know, he actually gave us a choice. He had one with and without music. I said, by all means, we're going to use it on with music. <laughs> I wanted speed metal in the back of it, but he wouldn't do that. And keep your high standards. He does a great job. He's such a natural storyteller. Um, you know, his show is not all about you know old computers or video games, but he does cover those things quite regularly. But he yes. covers a lot of like um, old TV shows and old movies and just different. And in the blog, all kinds of different retro things, toys and stuff. And it's a favorite of mine for a long time. He starts off every show with like a with a story, and it's just. It's just great. It's just really good listening. Yes, I, I listen to it a lot. It's I agree with you. It's uh, it, it's one that you need to add to your podcast list. And just the last thing I'll say is it reminds me of, um, I want to say it was the Christmas, I'm going to say it was 1980, I'm pretty sure. And um, Mattel had come out with their little handheld, some of the very first handheld games. Remember the football games? Yep. And they were literally just little red LEDs, or they weren't LEDs probably. What were they? The... Little, little They're LEDs. On they, the they were LEDs. And then um, that was a more expensive one. I actually got the Coleco version, which was a cheaper model. But I was very thrilled to have that. I actually think it had it had something that the Mattel one it didn't even have, too. Coleco, I think, lets you... Um, pass. Pass. I think that's I what think it was. It, there was two-player versions of it, yeah. too. Yeah, later on. But it was, um, you know, so it wasn't quite as cool not to have the Mattel one. But, you know, I was thrilled to get the Coleco one. Yeah, it's like the difference between owning, you know, like, you know, a Cadillac versus a Chevy. <laughs> yeah. They both do the same thing, and they both might d- have all the exact s- operational stuff, but one just has a cooler, a bigger cool factor than the other. Or like a Lexus anyway. or a Toyota? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> exactly. It's all in the trim package. Um, who's up well, next? Well, somebody else whose podcast you need to listen to, Rob O'Hara, a.k.a. Flack of the You Don't Know Flack podcast, adds the TRS-80 to All the right. list of Christmas memories. It's about Finally, time. Got some coverage. Um, Rob is also a founder of the Throwback Network of Retro-Themed Podcasts. And I believe that after David and I finish our goldfish eating initiation, Rob will yeah. add our podcast to the elite list of Throwback Network podcasts. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. What if Rob throws us back? Ah, but I'm bump. <laughs> All right. Let, let, let's just listen to what Rob has to say. I'm, I'm interested in TRS-80 stories, even though I've never owned one till recently. Hey, this is Rob Flack O'Hara from You Don't Know Flack podcast and Throwback Reviews and several other shows talking about my first holiday-related computer memory. And that date goes all the way back to the holiday season of 1979. I was, I just turned six years old and, uh, our neighbors, we had just moved into the the neighborhood that I grew up in and our, our neighbors across the street had invited 
our family, my parents and my sister and I, to come over and ring in the new year with them. And so we walked across the street. And normally at these type of gatherings, uh, the parents would go one way and the kids would go the other. But it just so happened that they had two daughters that were roughly the same age as my sister. So uh, the, the girls all went to one room to play. And then the, the my mom and the wife, uh, the neighbor's wife, went to one room to talk. And so I ended up staying with my dad. So my dad and I uh, and the uh, the father went into the room, his uh, back room, like a little den. And he showed us what he had purchased for Christmas of 1979. And that was a TRS-80 Model 1 computer. So he showed us all the things. Now, this was at a time when Atari was uh, was pretty big. You know, um, you still had uh, the Odyssey 2 in the Atari. So, uh, and we had just had Pong. So there were lots of things that were competing for uh, this new market of home entertainment, uh, electronic entertainment. But those things were all... Uh, you know, played games. Atari played games. The Odyssey played games. Uh, Pong was a game. And uh, so, but this was a computer. It did more than games. Uh, now, I think, uh, I don't even remember. I think the TRS-80 Model 1 has 4K of RAM. So uh, it was definitely limited in what it could do. But uh, we got an entire demonstration. And so uh, this man showed us his computer. He even had an external box um, similar to the one that's in war games it was a little speaker and he could type commands at the uh, you know the command prompt and it would say the speech and so i remember uh, he and my dad making the the computer say uh, different things i think there were probably some jokes <laughs> that were uh, over my six-year-old head but uh, I, he let me play some basic games there was a, a racing game where, where you it was all everything was done with ascii characters back then and so very very rudimentary graphics and gameplay and and you had uh, you know everything was done there's no joysticks or anything it was all done with the the number pad it made a huge impression on my dad and it made a huge impression on me. So, uh, this was the holiday season of 79. And, uh, shortly after that was when the uh, TRS-80 model three was released. And so my dad, uh, based on, uh, him seeing this model one, uh, went and uh, got on the waiting list and got a model three. And that model three is the one that, uh, I learned how to program basic on, and, you know, got my first experience with home computers. And, and that's what led me into, uh, you know, growing up using and loving home computers and, and ultimately a uh, 20 plus year career in the computer field. So, but definitely I could trace it all back to that first day, uh, New Year's Eve, 1979, with that first exposure to the TRS-80 Model 1. So if you've got kids, nieces and nephews, maybe you can't get them off their phone or uh, you can't get them, you know, off the, off the iPad or whatever gaming system and DS that they have with them at this time. Um, take, take a few seconds and, and show them the computer and not just that the computer can play games too, but, uh, a few of the other things. And, and of course kids today through school and everything else get plenty of exposure to computers, but, uh, you never know. You could be making an impression that would uh, change a kid's life. So anyway, season's greetings, happy holidays, and all that good stuff for me. Thanks for having me on the show, and I have a computer of my own to get back to. Thanks, guys.
Okay, so going, he didn't really get the TRS-80, but he had access to it on Christmas Day, and, and that's still a good memory. Um, going, you know, when you go to, uh, you know, a, a, a family member's house or, or uh, a friend's house or something like that, and they have, you know, something cool there that you've always wanted yourself, and you're offered the chance to play with it, mm-hmm. yeah, that is a great feeling. Sure. Yeah. You, know, you know, today we don't see that too much because you know electronics of any type are um you know just ubiquitous yeah so you don't it's not like you're playing with your hot wheels one day and the next day you're sitting in front of a trs-80 and having fun with it you know we don't you don't experience that these days and you know it it's almost i almost kind of feel bad for you know my sons and and daughters generation that they don't have that kind of experience i I don't even know the best way to equate it's anything they may have i may, may just be that far out of touch the well, modern generation it's, well it's just like i mean yeah in one respect it's um i think it's my daughter it's just like the other night asked me about like uh what did people do when like movies you know if you missed a movie if you missed going to see a movie um you know what did you do and i go well, you, you didn't do anything like before before video players a vhs even stuff you just never saw it and it would be years and years and years before it'd be released you know, on, on television, on if, home video yeah. for thirty bucks for a right, set. and then yeah. it was obviously right. It wasn't until really the mid to late eighties that it would might be released on VHS. Yeah, and so in some respects, it's kind of obviously we have a lot of. Um, it's nice that we have so many options, and but on the other hand, it does kind of make things less special. Yeah, in some respects, you almost maybe. expect it. You know, it's like oh, okay, you know, there's there's no there's no thrill in there. So getting back back on track. Yeah, let's our get back next. On track submission was last minute so which we're so happy for he just made it just before uh our recording session here so that's john from uh leaky let's let's go with leaky I'm, i think it's leaky and not not leak so it's john leaky i should know this anyway he's one of the co-hosts along with james of the long-running retro Matcast podcast and he tells us about the christmas in 1983 when he received a very special gift a vectrex video game system just for him Hi, this is John from the Retro Matcast, and uh, I wanted to tell you about the Christmas of 1983 when I got a Vectrex. Um, now, before that, we had had other game systems. We'd had the Atari 2600 uh, and one of the early just kind of Pong sort of games that played Pong and Squash. Our house had one TV. So that meant if I wanted to play on the Atari, I I had to wait until pretty much no one else was watching TV because as the child, I was very much the low man on the totem pole. So you can imagine my excitement of getting a system with its own built-in screen. Uh, Not only did I receive the Vectrex, but I received two games with it. uh, That would have been Scramble and the uh, Star Trek game uh both awesome awesome games and of course there was the built-in game mindstorm i played it a lot i played it a lot a lot it was uh always one of my most fun possessions at the time and uh you know the 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 vector graphics on it were just so really you know cool you know it didn't have color but it came with a color overlay so you could kind of pretend but it did not matter uh just just the uh, graphics and the gameplay was fast and smooth and uh, unlike, you know, very much, of course, unlike the Atari 2600, which even though it had color was, uh, yeah, an Atari 2600. So the vector graphics always had a, uh, an allure to me. And, uh, 
I have to say, yeah, it uh, it was definitely a great present. And you know, I've always wanted one of those. I'm, Me so too. I've never had one of those. In I, I remember my seeing them at the local department store in in around '83. Um, and it was the greatest thing they would have it on display in the electronic section where you can also buy the Atari computer and the Commodore computer and stuff like that and the and the Atari video game systems. Um, and I've, I just... mean, I haven't looked recently, but I don't think they're too expensive. But, I, you know, I think from all the time I've ever become aware, because I never knew about them originally, but ever since I've ever started um, collecting and stuff and became aware of them, they've always seemed to float around like, you know, this is off the top of my head right now, I'm going to say... You know, a hundred dollars for a bear unit that works, you know, to a couple hundred dollars plus, you know, for with some good games and overlays and all that stuff. Yes, I, I agree. That's about what I've seen them for too. It's just they always seem to come out about a hundred dollars when I just don't feel like spending a hundred dollars. And one of these days, that's going to end, and I will lose out. But it would be nice to have a working Vectrex of my own. It's one of those things that, uh, okay, I've gotten close enough to smell this one, you know as opposed to the Commodore 128D mentioned earlier, but it's still considered out of reach from my perspective. I wonder if that would be a cool retro kit, Kickstarter campaign or something, if someone sort of made a modern version of that. You know, a... Um... You just can't beat the, the, the true vector graphics. Right, that's, that's what I mean. Provided. I wonder if someone, you know, or maybe it would be too expensive to get those tubes and all that stuff nowadays. Oh, uh, well, the EPA is going to have a word with you if you try to, <laughs> yeah. try to amass those. Because they can do a pretty good job with it, L- yeah, LED nowadays that, that, that look pretty, Although, pretty real. once the 4K television standard yeah. gets smaller in size, I bet you you can do it then and you couldn't tell the difference other than the fact that it'll be flat panel. You're right. The resolution, 4K resolution will be you so... You could fake it pretty well. You probably could. It'll probably look really good. Even uh, It'd be great for MAME. Sounds uh, like a project. It, uh, it sounds like a project just to get the 4K television. And I want to get one someday. Or, so tell us about our last sub, sub, <laughs> submission. Okay. Our last star of the evening. Last but not least, no. Sid Bolton, who is a person who had the somewhat unique privilege of working in a computer store at age 16 in 1987. He could probably recreate in detail a full replica of the computer store that he worked in with the collection of computers he has at the Personal Computing Museum in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, I wish I could go to that. But, yeah, you know, be nice. I've never even been to Canada, so you're closer. Uh, yeah, I, I should try it someday. <laughs> Maybe see uh, Carrington while I'm in the area. <laughs> yeah. Um, for this show special, he talks about some of the thoughts a mid-1980s computer salesman might have had considering the distinctiveness of personal computers back in the day. Christmas in 1987 was particularly interesting for me, as it was the second Christmas where I worked at one of the local computer stores. I was only 16, and so it was part-time for me. But as the holidays grew closer, I was working almost every evening after school, and certainly every Saturday. Back in those days, the mall was not open on Sundays, so the majority of the time I wasn't in school, I was helping people make decisions about what they were going to put under the tree that year. Most of the people I dealt with were there looking for a family computer, and at this store my choices were a PC-compatible, Epson or Commodore brands, a Commodore 64, 128 or Amiga, an Atari ST or an 8-bit unit. This was also the year that the Atari XE game system came out. 
At that point, I was really a Commodore fanboy, so I tended to push people towards the systems I loved and knew the best, which was the Amiga and, to a lesser degree, the Commodore 64. I remember selling a Commodore 128 to a gentleman who had a family farm and lived around five or six miles away from my house. He spent close to $1,800 on that system, including the monitor, disk drive, software, printer, and many accessories. I had talked to him briefly about getting the Amiga, but this is what he wanted. Backwards compatibility with the Commodore 64 was pretty important to him. One of the key differences between selling machines today versus selling them back in 1987 was the idea of software support. You always bought a machine that matched up to what your buddies had. They would say, hey man, buy this machine and I'll hook you up with some games. I wonder if people really understood or understand how piracy, as bad as it can be, actually helped build the home computer up to the acceptable level it is at today. Without piracy, I imagine it would have taken much longer for computers to become popular and something in virtually everyone's home. It has had an impact on the internet and everything we've built up around it. Back to this family. I remember hearing about how amazing Christmas morning was. I can imagine how much the kids were freaking out not to only get a computer, but all the stuff to go with it. Many kids, including myself, would get a computer, maybe, but with the barest of the bare essentials and buy things as time went on, at least in the beginning. You know, things like joysticks and extra disk drives and floppy disks as expensive as they were and magazines and everything else. I also remember selling a lot of copies of Ultima 4 that year. The game had a bit of a following by this time, and so people either bought it for themselves or sent in clueless spouses or friends to buy it for them. The game Might and Magic had also just come out, and we had no idea what a hit it would turn out to be in the long run. The other thing I clearly remember about that year was Christmas Eve during the day as the last shoppers ran in to get the last items for their friends and family. It was the first time I had really felt part of a new retail family, I, as I was the only one working in the store that wasn't actually part of a family that owned the business. And we celebrated the end of that retail day in that store, surrounded by so much technology that it truly felt like home to me. If home is where the heart is, then my Christmas heart that year was there, and pieces of my heart went home with every machine I sold and every piece of software that went home as a gift. My only wish was that I could have gotten to see the looks on the family faces as they unwrapped those presents, played those games, and tried to figure out how to make everything work. It was different in 1987, you know. You had to figure out a lot of everything, and you would do a lot of different things to get very little results, and so computers back then were very, very different. But it was definitely worth it. Oh, how it was worth it. Really such such great submissions, huh? I mean, that was yeah. just a, a unique, you know, really closing it out on a unique twist. Yeah, it's it's angle thing. on it. It's like, um, I didn't receive anything, but I sold a bunch of stuff to people who are in a position to get that gift, you know, for for Christmas or, you know, whatever, whatever holiday it is. So... Did you ever yeah. work in a computer store? I worked in an electronics boutique. In, oh, uh, yeah. In, like around 1990. That was like the midpoint of my tenure there. So we the electronics boutique was just getting off of selling computers. I think they had an Amstrad uh, PC clone and an Amiga 500. When I started working there within two months, they hmm. took it off the market in the store. And it was just software and video game systems. But, yeah, same thing. You know, from, a sales, from a salesperson point of view... 
you always get those people coming in. They got to have this, 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 this because it's so popular, and you don't have it in stock, and they're all mad, or yeah. or maybe they feel relieved now. They can tell their kid, well, it wasn't available, so you couldn't get it. But then then they'll turn around and they'll buy two of something else, to, to or to make up because little Johnny can't get his game. Um, so they'll buy two of something else to make up for it, and the store makes out like a bandit because they have you know two sales instead of one. It might be interesting to do a show sometime and sort of see if we can get submissions for people that worked in a computer store. I know that, uh, like Earl still, Evans worked in a computer store. And... I'm a friend with the manager of the store that uh, that I worked at, and uh, he'll have plenty of stories. Yeah. And I worked in a couple of different computer stores. Actually, I worked in, wow. So since we're on the subject, let's see. I worked at a, a store in Frederick, Maryland called uh, Frederick Computer Products. That was a big, that was a big turning point in my life. Then I worked at a, two other apple dealers i worked at computer city and i worked at comp comp usa do you so, know i did when i was younger before i graduated high school is i worked fixing video games wow uh, like the uh, arcades yes oh wow um and then i worked at showbiz pizza for a little bit then oh. i went in the army and then you know life kind of got dull since then well but anyway we yeah, had just, 12, 12 people right yeah, everyone just did such a great job at storytelling. It's amazing how easy it is when, you know, you even have a little bit of passion about the subject you're talking about. Just it just makes for good, you know. It's almost like we're all in the at a party together in the same room and we're just sharing stories and all. Yep, I was impressed with the submissions too. They're they're very enjoyable to listen to, for one. Plus they're all rather unique in nature, even though the theme remained the same. We did a good show. So you yeah. know what? Reality television, bah humbug. Yeah. This has been reality podcasting, and you know I've been enjoying listening to everyone's stories. Well, I enjoyed it too because there seem to be more references to Commodore computers than uh, computers. I noticed uh, that. Yeah, well, I guess I suppose I owe the authors authors of those Commodore submissions a lot of money now. And that was, of course, totally random. You know, it's not like we yeah. we, we actually reached out to we didn't we, pay them a lot more much. people than we received. Yeah. But, you know, Commodore was the cheapest entry level, pretty much, at least in the so the time frame that we, we were hearing about. It's what it was designed for, and it worked. It worked for Commodore and um, for the masses. Yeah, and like I, you know, I said earlier, I mean, an Apple II system was a pretty darn expensive gift, you know, at, at Christmas. I think it was more one of those things. I mean, I know sometimes people give, like, I guess their spouses or kids, I don't know, give them cars at Christmas. You didn't notice how you see these oh, car commercials? Who wants one of those? But but to me, I know that's got to be a lot more rare than other things. So I kind of think in the old days, you know, computer gifts were more well-planned and thought out sort of things, not not Christmas gifts. Because, you know, just an Apple II system at during its lifespan, for the most part, you were looking at at least $1,200 just to, just to buy a CPU. And that's don't true. really talk about Macs. When it comes to the, the gifts, I think out of all these, I can relate the most to Adam Rosen's gift of the VIC-20. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though my first computer was a VIC-20, I received mine in October of 81. I mentioned this earlier. Um, but it was still an unexpected surprise for me. You know, it wasn't something I opened up, but I didn't expect to get it. My parents just said, hey, we're going to go out and look for a computer. But I had actually had the chance to pick up the VIC-20 or a TRS-80 color computer. It was down to you know the original Coco. It was down to the two. But I picked the VIC-20 eventually, but I was just ecstatic to receive a new computer out of the blue. You get these things as gifts. It's so great to have them. You figure out what you want to do with them, and then you, you find out, wow, there's a lot you can do with this, and you're always learning you know, more stuff. So, hmm. yeah, 
you can't compare getting a computer with a car, depending on who you are. Car is really more versatile in some cases. Um, but yeah, getting a computer was still still had its moments. It was still a good thing. So that's it for the show. And show nine will be released on Friday, January 9th. We'll be back all fresh and new, ready to get back to the history of personal computing with the Commodore Pet. You can find our evolving guide and all our show notes at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. Send feedback to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com because we really love, would love to receive your email or audio comment. Please send us your high-quality photos of the machines we've covered, and we are looking forward to featuring them on the site. Lastly, tell someone about us, please. Write a review on iTunes or help us spread the word with Facebook, Google+, or Twitter. Perhaps you're in a specialty discussion group. Tell them. That's it for this episode. Please have a happy holiday of your choice. Keep your old computer out of the cold.